I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Happy Thursday and welcome to a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. I'm John Schmelk, joined by Jeff Fiegels and Lance Meadow. Today we continue our opponent preview series, and we're going to turn our attention to the Minnesota Vikings, who the Giants take on on Christmas Eve. And to join us to talk about the Vikings is Matthew Collar. He covers the Vikings at Purple Insider. You can check out uh, his podcast, the Blue Wire Podcast. And he has a substack at purpleinsider.substack.com, formerly at ESPN in Minneapolis. Matthew, you got John, Jeff, and Lance here in East Southern New Jersey. How you doing, man? I couldn't be better. I cannot wait for training camp. What's up with you guys? Yeah, it is right around the corner. It's coming fast and furious. All that, you know, off-season time that we had in the last month or so is uh, slowly dissipating here, Matt. So I guess we should just start here. Give me a feel. It's the first time in a long time the Vikings have a new power structure in place, a new way of going about things. What has it been like under the new regime? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is uh, different. Uh, we got a sense of that right away in OTAs and minicamp when they didn't really have hard practices. And it was like, oh, okay, uh, this is very different from the Mike Zimmer era where I think that the Vikings tried to put in some sports science things and tried to manage player workload, but, uh, you know, I don't know that Mike Zimmer fully ever bought into that, but now Kevin O'Connell, I think, really wants to modernize a lot of the things that you know, were kind of left behind. And, and I have immense, immense respect for Mike Zimmer and what he achieved in Minnesota. I thought he was usually one of the ten best coaches in the NFL during his time here, but like many things, you get to the end of the road with, with, with a coach sometimes, and they needed a change. And so Kevin O'Connell is brought here – to update this franchise, and not only when it comes to sports science, but uh, the focus on culture, which I think you know you can roll your eyes at, but you know ultimately is pretty important. You can ask anybody in giant businesses how much money they invest 
uh, bringing in consultants and trying to improve their culture. And uh, the NFL is starting to pick up on that as well. And then, you know, the big storyline is, you know, how much can he update the offense and get more out of the offense that has been pretty good in recent years and I think is well-designed for Kirk Cousins. But how about pushing that pass-run ratio a little bit more toward the pass, right? Um, and, and, and utilizing Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Irv Smith Jr. to the max. So there's, I think, a feeling around the team that they want to find out. Like, was Mike Zimmer holding them back a little bit at, at the end? Or do they really have to kind of rebuild this thing if it doesn't work in these what look like you know final year or two of having Kirk Cousins here? Matthew, you referenced Kirk Cousins, and he's probably one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in the NFL. You look at his numbers last year. He threw 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions, and some people continue to campaign that they need to upgrade the position because obviously it's a product of wins and losses in the NFL. But he and Kevin O'Connell, they have history together. As O'Connell was his position coach in Washington in 2017, you mentioned that you know they're hoping to open up the passing game a little bit more. But how much do you think having the framework of that relationship in place will allow Kevin O'Connell to tap a little bit even more into Kirk Cousins' skill set? Yeah, that's definitely the bet that they're making, is that you know the relationship between Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins got to be very rocky toward the end. And, you know, some things like weren't, I don't know, weren't, weren't uh, foreseeable, like vaccination status being a debate between the coach and the quarterback. But that really... You know, Mike Zimmer coming out and being so vocal against Kirk Cousins' decision uh, about the vaccination really put a big schism between those two, and it was felt throughout the year. And so I think, I mean, for one, luckily we don't have to write about that storyline this year. I really, really hope, but uh, that was no fun. But, you know, I also think it, it was in a lot of different ways. Like when Kirk Cousins would throw interceptions, Mike Zimmer would say he needs to be safer with the ball. When he would throw short passes too often, he'd say he needs to be more aggressive. And at some point, I think Kirk Cousins was like, what exactly do you want me to do here? I mean, so, you know, I think Kevin O'Connell is going to be a lot clearer in his message. But there's also the fact that Kirk Cousins is going to be 34 years old when the season starts. I mean, the idea that you can send a few more guys in motion and put Justin Jefferson in the slot a couple more times and be nicer to Kirk Cousins and get vastly different results, to me, I'm very skeptical of that. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, you know, Cousins being polarizing because I think that on Twitter with fans, he is. But at the end of the day, when everyone does their quarterback rankings, including the NFL executives, he usually ends up 14th or 16th or something like that. And it's always been the issue that he is one of the three highest paid by the salary cap quarterbacks in the NFL. But I, I would agree with the NFL executives that rank him somewhere between 14th and 17th. I think that's about right. So, you know, that's always been the thing that's been hard to overcome. And this offseason, they didn't improve a ton in terms of their roster strength over where they started last season, their roster depth. So I think that, you know, the NFL, we talk about schemes. We love that stuff. But... You know, maybe Jeff can confirm this, but it's about how great your punter is. No, I mean, oh heck yeah, let's go there. <laughs> no, thank it's you, Matt. It's about how great your roster is usually, though, right? Absolutely, Matt. You know, you talk about Kevin O'Connell. Obviously, he comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree, which is now getting a lot of uh, attention throughout the league because guys are leaving the Sean McVay and going to and doing some good jobs. Um, this is a team with when you look at it on paper, they've got great talent. 
Uh, they've, you know, they've missed the playoffs back to back seasons. But one of the things that I'm looking at a couple things on the offensive side, that's interesting to me. And maybe you can touch a little bit on this is maybe going into camp. Some of the battles that you're going to see. One of them I see is that that backup position behind Dalvin Cook at the running back position. And then the other one who I, I the other position where I think is probably the weakest of other than the tackles would be your offensive line for the Vikings. Maybe talk a little bit about that. I know that they brought in two veterans, Chris Reed and Jesse Davis, um, to compete at that guard spot. Let me know a little bit about more of that. And then also a little bit more about Ed Ingram. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the offensive line is a huge, a huge, huge deal um, because you know this is maybe the biggest surprise when they changed general managers that I think we thought, okay, finally they're going to go all in on fixing this offensive line. And Drafting Ingram in the second round, I mean, is a, is a is a pretty big move. I mean, guards being taken in the second round is supposed to mean that you should be good and you should be able to come in and start right away and and have a chance to be a special player when you're being taken at a non-premium position in the second round. But uh, you know, he's going to have to battle for that position with two veterans who have been around in Chris Reed and Jesse Davis. But it still doesn't feel like they went as far as. Uh, we wanted them to go as writers. We were saying that they might go, you know, and, and spend all of their cap space on offensive line because you know, I was doing some research on this this offseason that, you know, Kirk Cousins, because he's so much a pocket quarterback, because he really does stand in one place and is not a guy that moves around like a Randall Cunningham or Jim McMahon, right? He's, he's going to stand right there. And, uh, you know, it, that's been a problem for having an interior offensive line that struggles. Uh, you know, because he's, he's kind of a sitting duck, and to go out and only kind of address it in a free agent way where you're spending like $2 million or $1 million on this guy, um, you know, I think maybe they're going to regret that at some point because it hasn't really been the clean pocket scheme and stuff like that that's been the issue. You look at Cousins' clean pocket numbers throughout his career, they are absolutely fantastic. But it's when he's pressured that he doesn't really have a counter punch to that because he's not you know, Josh Allen or something. He's not this big guy who can, you know, just rocket the ball off balance or something like that. He's really got to be able to step into his throw, which that's the interior offensive line. And then, you know, they kept the center, Garrett Bradbury. And when you look at you know, your PFF pass blocking grades or something like that, which match up with my eye test of covering every game, he's the worst in the league at pass blocking. <laughs> and that, that to me is something you can't have when Kirk Cousins is your quarterback. Um, so, you know, I think that that's a major issue. And you asked about the running back, too. Now, this is where it's very interesting of, like, could they use some players differently? Last year, Kenny Wongwu mostly stood on the sideline and watched as Delvin Cook got all the reps, and then Alexander Madison filled in. But this guy is probably the quickest player that I've ever seen up close in a training camp. Uh, and his 10-yard split at the combine would confirm that. It was like 98th percentile 10-yard split. So can they – just use players a little bit better, get this guy on the field, get him a handful of touches a game, and maybe not wear down Delvin Cook so much as they have in the past because by uh, Christmas Eve, you know, Delvin Cook is usually pretty toast uh, <laughs> after, you know, getting, you know, 270 carries or whatever pace he's on and, and whatever injuries. I think if they could use him a little smarter um, and not, not Sean Alexander the guy, uh, maybe uh, they could get a little more up. Well, yeah, just I guess final question on the offense um, from me. 
you know, you've kind of touched on this a little bit with Kevin O'Connell coming from the Rams, Wes Phillips, the offensive coordinator. Now, their system last year in terms of the base system, I think, comes from the same tree. It's pretty similar, right? So you mentioned maybe running back usage might be a little bit different, move Justin Jefferson around a little bit. How big of an adjustment is this going to be for this offensive personnel with the new offensive system coming in, or is it just kind of small tweaks based on what they've done in the past? Yeah, that's a great question because you get different answers from different people on that so far. Um, you know, Justin Jefferson is on record saying it's a completely different offense. Wow. And Kirk Cousins has said that there's a lot of similarities. So it's like, okay, guys, which one is it? Um, and, uh, you know, for us, that's one of the biggest storylines of training camp is how much can we pick up on. But I do think that you know, some of the things that the Rams deployed, you know, for example, putting players in motion, the Rams did that as much as anybody in the league last year, I think the Vikings were average. And the, you know, the year before that with Gary Kubiak, it was not a big thing that they did all the time. So seeing players in motion before almost every snap, you know, that's going to be something different. Justin Jefferson lined up in the slot, maybe one out of every four snaps. I could see that being, you know, half of his snaps. Mm-hmm. I don't think you want to change Justin Jefferson too much though. Guys, no, of course. Let him Maybe go. he leads the NFL in yards over the last two years. I don't think you want to change too much. So, you know, that's the balance, though, because when you come in as a new coach, you know, say you're Rich Kotite coming in after Buddy Ryan, and everybody wants you to change everything, but how much do you change, right? I mean, because it's not like the last coaching staff won three games. I mean, they, they were winning seven, eight, and, and nine, ten games. So you're trying to get those little extra edges, and that's something that Kevin O'Connell has to, has to battle with. I guess it would make sense, Matthew, that Kirk Cousins would say he has a little bit more familiarity, mainly because he, Sean McVay, and Kevin O'Connell are all together in Washington. So probably for Jefferson, it's brand new, but there at least there's some similarities and familiarity for Kirk Cousins. I actually want to add one more on the offensive side of the ball because Irv Smith, their tight end, is interesting. He didn't play last season because of the torn meniscus and... When Kyle Rudolph was sort of being phased out a few seasons ago and we had him here with the Giants for a year, it seemed as if they were paving a way for Irv Smith to be that perfect complement to the receiving core. A, how is he health-wise coming off the injury? And B, how much more of a role do you see him having considering it seems as if Kirk Cousins throughout his career has had a good rapport with the tight end position? Yeah, no, there's there's no question. I mean, last year... During training camp, there was no player more impressive than Irv Smith Jr. And it was supposed to be his year where Kyle Rudolph was moving on, and now it was on to the next guy who had come out of Alabama and been drafted in the second round and had high expectations and had flashed in the first couple years, but he just didn't have a main role. So he had that time to develop, and it looked like it was all coming together. And this is something, again, that Kevin O'Connell can do in a smarter way than Mike Zimmer. Irv Smith got hurt in the third preseason game. There's absolutely no reason to play Irv Smith Jr. in the third preseason game. Um, and I think that, you know, you look at the Rams and the way that they handle their preseason, they don't use their starters a whole lot or at all. And I think that that's kind of the way of the NFL that we're going with those preseason games. And, uh, you know, so I think that the expectations are very high for Irv. And the good news for him is that he didn't expect to be able to get on the field until training camp, but he was out there for mini camp and OTAs. And he was running routes and doing seven-on-sevens. And so, I mean, that's really good news for him. And I, I think they have high expectations. And he's a guy that, you know, Tyler Conkle did a good job last year for them. But with Irv, he is so fast as a tight end that you can move him around. But the other thing is 
He has tenacity. Now, I mean, I'm sure Jeff remembers Irv Smith, the oldest 90s tight end. This, yeah, this kid knows how to block, too. <laughs> he's, he's not as big. He's not as big as his dad, but he knows how to block, and I think that's a huge asset for them. So, you know what? They're, they're hoping for a little Jeremy Shockey here, like somebody who can kind of do a little bit of everything. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Well, when you look at the defense, you know, the Vikings defense obviously has been synonymous with getting after the pass, the the uh, the quarterback, things like that. When I'm looking at this roster, I think that one of the positions that's going to be a good battle in training camp this year will be at that other cornerback position. Of course, Patrick Peterson, you know, he's locked in there, and Shannon Solomon will probably be the slot corner. Give me a little bit of insight on that kind of matchup and how things are going to go, you think, at the position at cornerback for that other position. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is this is like the biggest, I think, question mark maybe on the entire team um, is probably the secondary. Because if you really squint, if you kind of talk yourself into it and say like, well, you know, I mean, Patrick Peterson actually held it down last year pretty well and, uh, you know, didn't show the signs of aging that we were concerned about last year. And, uh, you know, they got Andrew Booth Jr. in the draft. And I, you know, I think that with, with Andrew Booth, if he stays healthy – I think he probably would have been a first-round pick, but there was major concern mm-hmm. about his, uh, you know, his injuries in college. And he said to us on draft night, he said, I haven't been fully healthy since high school. And they're like, okay, that seems bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, if you wa- but if you watch the kid play, it's like, well, wait, you weren't fully healthy and you were you know, mirroring guys this well and, and making plays on the ball this well. So he's a, he's a really impressive prospect. How far he's going to come along is a major question. And last year – they got you know, maybe the worst nickel corner play in the entire league for Mackenzie Alexander. So giving Shannon Sullivan and his numbers, if you go to the PFF data and things like that, like there's some numbers that look good. There's some numbers that you're kind of questioning of. And I think this, but numbers on a slot corner can be really difficult because that role has so much to it with, you know, covering the middle of the field, sitting in the run game. So his fit on this defense is going to be a huge deal too. And then, you know, in the secondary just the fact that they drafted Lewis Seen and Harrison Smith has always been playing next to either late-round draft picks or undrafted free agents for his entire career, which if you're making that Harrison Smith Hall of Fame case one day, you're also bringing that up. But now he's got a first-round talent to work next to him. So can Lewis Seen bring enough with his, with his raw talent right away, even if there are some bumps along the road, to make that a really dangerous duo against other teams you know, I think that there's there's certainly a scenario where all of those things that I just mentioned click into place, and it's good. But there's definitely a scenario where all of them don't. Like, you know, first-round draft picks, I mean, sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. And, you know, the same thing uh, goes for, you know, aging players. Like, sometimes you're Jeff and you play until you're 40 because you're a punter, and sometimes you hit that wall a lot earlier. And so we don't know when that's going to come with uh, Patrick Peterson. How much of an adjustment – uh, Matt, is it going to be up front 
for this team. Obviously, Mike Zimmer played a very distinctive scheme up front. You know, he had the double mug linebackers, standard 4-3. And I know people, I know teams are mostly in sub now, so the, you know, standard Packers doesn't matter nearly as much. But in terms of scheme, like, you know, it looks like it's going to be a 3-4. Are they going to be two-gapping a lot? Are they more of a one-gap penetrating type of defense? How much different is this front seven going to look in terms of how they're trying to approach their defensive strategy? Yeah, yeah. And, and this is another thing where it's like, Man, I'd love to talk about the the 3-4 defense and back in uh you know the Steelers were running out LeVon Kirkland and uh, Greg Lloyd and <laughs> yep. stuff. But that's just mm-hmm. not what we're going to see here, right? Like nobody is playing. I don't know that the Vikings have four linebackers that they can play. But what but we're going to see a lot though is uh you know them playing in a nickel package, but we're going to see Daniel Hunter standing up off the edge. And I think the real wild card here is bringing in Zedarius Smith. I mean, you guys know that when that guy's at his best, he's one of the best in the league, but not just at one position. I mean, he can line up at linebacker. He can line up over the guard, over the center. And I think what they want to be is very flexible and versatile up front. The, the question for me, though, is if other teams find ways to manipulate them to where Zedarius Smith or, or Daniel Hunter has to go back in coverage, that's not good. Like, you can't have those guys trying to cover. Daniel Hunter, I don't know that he's ever covered anyone his entire career, because why would you, right? So, you know, there's going to be some adjustments, I think. But really, when you look at how they set up their roster, it's very clear that they're going to just be playing nickel. I mean, because they got Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle from the Bills in free agency. They kept Delvin Tomlinson here, who you guys know is a terrific player. Yep. I mean, they want to to stuff the middle as well, and they want to stop the run with those guys and rush off the edges and not end up having those linebackers have to drop back in coverage at all. So I think it's going to look a lot like like a like a four three nickel and, and with you know Sullivan on the field. The, the question for me is actually are going to play more of a dime package where they use three safeties because last year uh, Cam Bynum, who was a fourth round pick of theirs and a rookie, he stepped in for a couple games when Harrison Smith got COVID and he was really good. And so I think, uh, you know, then they draft a safety in, in the first round. So it's like, how are you going to get Cam Bynum on the field and utilize his skills as well? So they've got more to work with than I think they did last year just because of the development of somebody like Cam Bynum. But, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, Carolina Panthers with uh, Lamar Lathan and Sam Mills out there doing the 3-4. Matthew, speaking of the personnel, to me, the one thing that has been the Achilles heel for the Vikings defense over the last few seasons with Zimmer has been their inability to stop the run. It has been dreadful. I mean, you remember that game, what, against the New Orleans Saints? It was right around Christmas time where Alvin Kamara had run for about 17 touchdowns, and it wasn't even halftime, and it didn't get a lot better last season. Now, I know they brought in Jordan Hicks from the Cardinals. I think you mentioned it passing. You don't even know if they have four linebackers that they can put on the field simultaneously. So if they do more heavy safety combinations and the addition of Zadarius Smith, where do you see the state of this run defense with Ed Tonatel's system right now? Yeah, I think that is still the biggest question because last year it was downright shocking. I mean, they played against the world champion Los Angeles Rams, about the best game anybody played against Matt Stafford last year. He threw three picks in the game, and it was horrendous, and the Rams won easily because they just ran and ran and ran. Like we talk about you know, how open their passing game is and everything, they didn't even have to throw for most of that game. Uh, the Cleveland Browns just steamrolled them by just running and running and running, and you know, kept the Vikings offense off the field. And anytime you can have Justin Jefferson sitting there watching on the sideline because you're steamrolling the Vikings defense, you know, you're in good shape. And, and I think that signing Harrison Phillips 
was a major part of that. But I also think that it's not resolved. Like, one of the things with Eric Kendricks, I have the ultimate respect for Eric Kendricks, an all-pro, Walter Payton Man of the Year, uh, you know, representative for the Vikings. But he's not big. And, and if you ask him to do too much when it comes to run blocking, I mean, you can really get beat up there. And, and I think that's what we saw last year is that if you can get to the second level. And a major part of this is the Vikings, and they still have this issue, severely lacked in depth. So last year in the games that I'm describing, Michael Pierce was out or he was only playing half the snaps because of an injury. And they, you know, kind of asking Delvin Tomlinson to be the whole run defense and it was too much. Um, So, you know, if they're down one player on the defensive line, it's a massive drop off from all of the starters, especially when it comes to run defense. They've been trying to draft guys and develop them. You know, it's hard to find depth in this league. But when you spend as much money as they do on their star players, on their Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith, Kirk Cousins, one of the things that gets left behind is you can't pick up a veteran depth player on you know on the edge. And there's there's those guys that are kind of roaming around, kind of you know come in and, and rush a handful of times, or who can be a a run stuffer that's a veteran who knows what he's doing. And they just have not been able to sign those players because they don't have the money. So it'll be the same issue this year if anybody gets hurt up front. Matt, when uh, the Giants—excuse me, the the Giants—we're not. T- you guys are playing the Giants. Um, <laughs> the Vikings—they got—they went out and got ten players in the draft this year. And I was kind of going through these and trying to pick some guys that would maybe make an impact on the team this year. We've already talked about Ed Ingram. I think he's probably going to be the one guy that will. But obviously, they're your number one draft pick and and Lewis Sign. Talk to me a little bit about what you guys have seen in him in the offseason. And then the outline. Now, listen, I'm not going to shy away from this because I butcher names. But this guy's name, I'm not going to say it right. But I just want you to maybe talk about him. Is it Luigi Villane? Is that close? Man, I don't even know who you're talking about. Outside linebacker. He's yeah. undrafted free agent, Jeff. Why are you pulling him out? No, I, no I'm saying – oh, that's not a draft pick. Excuse me. Because I actually think this guy might be kind of a, a steal in the draft. I think he's actually a pretty good player. And I was just wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about him. Yeah, no wonder you don't want him. He's a free agent. That's why nobody pays attention to him. Matthew, right? you should know Jeff loves to dig deep into his bag of tricks I do. to test I wanna, all of our I want to so make clearly, sure that people know really their roster. So. Put you to the test, yeah. <laughs> more okay, importantly, so, I like uh, this, more importantly, Lewis Sign is really who I want to know about. Well, the funny thing is that you're pronouncing it wrong with even their first-round draft pick. It's Lewis Seen. Okay. Lewis Jackson. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So Perfect. That, well, but that opens us up for uh, a lot of potential puns. You know, like uh, he's, he's out there to be seen uh, or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, well, it's, his Better to be seen than be heard. Seen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, since I'm not even sure who the other player you were talking about was, let's talk about uh, Lewis Seen. <laughs> no, really, um, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think with Lewis Seen, what's really impressed me so far is just his his maturity, uh, mm-hmm. and you can get a sense for that right away. And I'm sure you know this, uh, but like you just even when a guy goes to the podium and you talk to him as a reporter, you feel it early on. Like, is this guy weighing over his head? Uh, does this guy have no idea what's coming for him in training camp, mm-hmm. or is this guy kind of a baller? Like, does he kind of get it? And I think Lewis. Is, is far on the side of kind of gets it, and he's an interesting guy because he had to he had to move around a lot early in his life. Like I don't think things came easy for him, and when he got to Georgia, they gave him so much responsibility, um, you know. And and I think that you you feel that like as a leader and and also as a guy from an X's and O's standpoint that he's had to handle a lot already so far. Now nothing like you have to handle in the NFL, but being prepared for that 
from Georgia, I think uh, should should be should be really helpful for him. And then having someone like Harrison Smith alongside him is invaluable because Harrison Smith is not only one of the great players, but he's also one of the great football minds that I've ever been around. I mean, he he's the guy that on Friday, while everybody else is arguing about their college team, you know, is is going through his, you know his iPad or whatever, still watching his last set of tape you know, before he leaves the facility and then goes home and watches some more. So I think having that person there with you, and, and now how they're going to use him is interesting, though, because they've kind of made no bones about it, that they're playing two deep safeties all the time. They're not going to have someone in the box very often, which means that, you know, you have to have deception back there, but you also have to get up and you have to stop the run. And I think that that's really good for Lewis Seen to come downhill and make plays in the run game. But, you know, it's a little different when the NFL guards are coming at you as opposed to, you know, what our Appalachian State or something. I mean, so uh, I think there's going to be an adjustment there. But as far as, like, first impressions go, I think he's had a really terrific one on the organization so far. Last one for me, Matt. Two other rookies. Andrew Booth, there was a lot of injury red flags with him in the draft. When do you think he might be back? And uh, what are you hearing about that? And then I loved watching Brian Asamoah coming out, uh, the linebacker. He was a guy that I thought moved around really well. He almost looked like a safety the way he moved the linebacker. But a lot of times I thought he kind of was just running around and didn't quite know where he was going sometimes. So what have you seen from him? And then what are you hearing about when Booth might become available? Yeah, I think uh, Booth is going to be fine to start training camp. And then the question is, like, does he stay healthy? Because, I mean, the guy is, is pretty slender, and he's had all those injury issues in the past. And so, you know, they're kind of just holding their breath. But, you know, from covering many draft classes of the past, I've never really found that there's a big translation from, hey, this guy was banged up in college, so he'll be banged up in the NFL like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure that we can look at it and say, oh, yeah, well, they screwed up that draft pick because he had some injuries in college. Sometimes it's just bad luck for a guy. And with Andrew Booth, the big issue was that he had had surgery to fix what I think it was a core problem. Core muscle, yeah, and core then, muscle. You got it. Right. And, th- and then it wasn't – the surgery didn't, like, work out or whatever. So then he had to have it again. That, to me, sort of sounds like bad luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, it also, you know, it does throw up red flags. But I think that you know, he's got a chance to push to play right away next to uh, Patrick Peterson. But more likely, it'll be Cam Dantzler starting, and Andrew Booth will have time to develop, which is good because what's happened in recent years is they've had to throw some guys in as rookies, just go out there and give it a shot. And you know, I mean, in the NFL, rookie corners, you you got to be, you know, one in a hundred to have a good year as a rookie corner right away mm-hmm. with how great the NFL receivers are. And uh, I'm sorry, who was the other player? Asamoah, the linebacker. Oh, Brian Asamoah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right, so Asamoah is an interesting guy because, I mean, when you say undersized linebacker, he was wearing a number in the 30s in minicamp. I thought he was a running back. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, is, he is super undersized. And so the – you know, I mentioned Sam Mills earlier. Like, it's not, you could be a London Fletcher, maybe. I mean, you can be undersized this league, be a linebacker. Eric Hendricks has proven that, but he is very undersized. So, my question is do they want him to be kind of like a player that has multiple roles? Like, is sort of a hybrid type of box safety, or is he, you know, going to uh, be in a traditional role where they just say, look, we don't mind if he gets steamrolled in the run every once in a while, the pass is more important to us. But when you watch the guy's tape, the one thing that really impresses you, and you mentioned it, but he just goes. Like, I mean, he, he just explodes and tracks people down and has great, great speed and quickness and tenacity. But I think that we're not going to see a ton of him right away. I think he's a player that they might want to mix in 
at times, maybe in different sub packages, but is probably for now the reason, one of the reasons they brought in Jordan Hicks as a veteran is to make sure that they didn't have to play their young linebackers right away. Last one for me, Matt. Uh, you, you had mentioned the center position. I'm just curious. There's a lot of, of things going around here with J.C. Treader. Has there been any talk about maybe him kind of surfacing as those veterans do towards the end of training camp? They don't obviously want to go to training camp. Is there anything there that maybe Vikings fans could be happy about? Now, I got a question for you. Uh, do you think that Treader not having a job has to do with his position with the NFLPA? Well, you know what? For a long time, there's been that's happened. I know that there are some guys that have been, you know, leaders on the team that are are represented, you know, by the NFLPA. And yes, I think that sometimes that does, especially because being the president, you know. So I think, yeah, I do. Right. I, I think that has a big thing to do with it. But bottom line is that when you're trying to win championships and win games, that there's a guy like that sitting on the sidelines who's a really good player who doesn't miss games. I think sometimes they'll they'll take that over that any day. Yeah, well, I feel the same way, that uh, that shouldn't make any difference at all. Right. But, you know, the NFL um, can sometimes they be can spiteful. They can blackball some uh, people, but, yeah. Uh, because, I, like, J.C. Treader last year, and I know that, you know, p- different people value PFF grades differently, but, you know, I've, I've found from covering the Vikings that there's a lot of them that have a lot of merit, and one of them is pass blocking. I mean, J.C. Treader, I think, was either number one or number two in the league last year in pass block, compared to Garrett Bradbury, who was dead last. I mean, that's... Even if you don't trust everything about the grades, that's a pretty huge gap. And somebody with Treader, who has had such a long history of being a great center in this league, I mean, I think it would be a big mistake not to sign him, uh, as long as he's healthy. But, I mean, he played over 1,000 snaps last year. Mm-hmm. So unless he had a nagging injury that everybody's concerned about, um, you know, I think maybe he's looking for a, a guaranteed starting job, which I don't know that he would get here um, because Garrett Bradbury was a first-round pick. But – He's also just significantly better with his history than Bradbury. And as I mentioned, I mean, with the, with the cousin stuff about the interior pressure, it gets a really necessary thing. So, I, you know, and the Vikings have just enough cap space to make a reasonable offer if, you know, they want J.C. Treader to happen. But it's like, are we going to do this or not? Because, I mean, we're getting to training camp here. And if you're, I mean, a center, if you're asking a center to come in last minute, that's really hard. I it mean, is. even for yeah. a veteran, because yeah. you really have to, operate that offense so um you know i yeah i think i think it would be a mistake not to as long as he's healthy and if it's about you know the league uh teaching him a lesson or something i i really hope that that's not the case because he is a great player matt it's hard to have a conversation about the vikings and not bring up the kicking game given the bad luck that they've had over the last few seasons <laughs> and last year you look at four games they lost by three points or less i know greg joseph they re-signed and I'm not saying that they're necessarily campaigning to have somebody else come in to compete or make a change, but what are the expectations of him now being in year two with the team? And they have a new special teams coordinator who has familiarity and ties to Kevin O'Connell with the Rams and Matt Daniels, and how much of an impact do you think he could perhaps have on that unit? I don't know what you mean. They've had some issues with kicking in the past. <laughs> with, is, that, is that a problem? <laughs> Just yeah. slightly. Yeah. Every, every once in a while. You know what's, what's unfortunate for Greg Joseph is that um, you know, he missed a kick that would have won a game that was, I think, maybe 38 yards or something last year. And so the impression of him was that he just, you know, choked or whatever. He made a ton of big kicks for them last he did, year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he won a game from 54 against the Lions. I mean, even in, in week one, he made one from, I think, 50 or 50-plus against Cincinnati. That was a big kick. And I, I think he finished with, like, 
5% of his kicks going in. And so I, they were very happy with him. And I think that the fact that, I mean, if you're Mike Zimmer's kicker and you recover from missing a game winner and go on to have a good season, then I, I give you a ton of credit. And I mean that because Mike Zimmer, I mean, I don't blame Mike Zimmer, but his frustration with kickers is just, you know, he was totally done with kickers by the end. And so Greg Joseph, uh, having talked to him a few times, I, I think he really does have like that mentality where he doesn't get rattled. And uh, he's got you know, obviously good range where he can kick from 50-plus. So they feel really good about that. I think there will be a little more punting competition. The issue, and, and again, you know, Jeff, you could speak to this, Jordan Berry takes forever to punt that ball. And mm. every time I think this thing might get blocked, right? Mm. And so there is, like, a couple of times last year, once against Carolina, it almost cost them a game. So, um, you know, I do, I do have some concern a little bit about the punting game. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess they're going to have to really just stick their blocks. I don't know, because it kind of takes forever to get it off. Well, that makes a difference, you know, and – it's it's a split second and you know guys lose jobs if they get punts blocked so that's the you know ryan wright is the guy's name i'm looking on here that he's going to compete with him so you know that'll be a good competition but you know when you take your time back there as a punter you're you're asking for trouble you really are because you you really should operate in one 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 quickness you never have to change anything if you're quick all the time so that's a big deal for for jordan Berry. so hopefully he speeds things up a little bit matt <laughs> so you don't get that feeling anymore. that's got that's got to be that has to be the worst feeling in the world when it gets blocked, doesn't it? It's the worst sound in the world, I can tell you that. <laughs> it's the double thump. It's like boom, boom, and you're like, oh, no. And the worst thing about it is if the ball happens, it actually has to come near me where you got to pick it up and try to do something with it, then you know you're just going to get annihilated. And so it's a double whammy there. That does not go well for Jeff Fingles when he had to pick up the ball and run. No, 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 no. That's uh, no. Or when he had to throw it too. It sounds like it sounds like there's a YouTube highlight I need to go find. There's plenty of them on there, Matt. Go check it out. Yeah, (laughs) you'll even see me getting blown up by Jeremiah Trotter. That one will probably be on there the most, so you'll get a kick out of that one. Matt, Matt, there's one in the Pro Bowl of Jeff getting blown up by Steve Atwater. You need to go. Oh my God, yeah, Steve Atwater. How about that? We're in the Pro Bowl and he's like rushing the punter. Nobody, no, everybody goes. Even the players go get a hot dog on fourth down in the Pro Bowl. Like he came and he came and and totally we got a roughing the punter call in the Pro Bowl. Seriously, hey, Man, that, that's a Hall of Fame that's, uh, play. That's, that's why right. he's encanted. That's so. exactly right. Yeah. Well, anyways, you you remember uh, you remember Brian Mormon getting blown up too. By oh, Sean he Taylor. got yeah. That was that was really bad. Yeah, I think it was um who hit him? Ed? No, it was uh, Sean Taylor. Yeah, Sean, Sean Taylor. Taylor that's right. Brain. I knew it was from Washington somebody from Miami. Yeah. Those clean guys. Hey, if you're going to run with the ball, hey, you're a football player at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you, you think I am. Yeah, I'm not a real football player running with the football, but I might think I am. But that's, you know, that's a different part of it. It's funny because I got – one time I got blown up, and the one of the reporters said, so what happened? And I said, well, listen, I got too, I got too far down in, involved in the football game. That's what happened. I was, wait, <laughs> I was down there where guys were playing football. You know, I was like, hang, normally I'm hanging out like 50 yards behind. You participated behind, so too much. I did. I got too close to the game. And next thing you know, I was just on my back, you know, with stars. Hey, I mean, isn't, but isn't the most amazing player in NFL history Tom Tupa? The guy could go in and start at quarterback yeah, if him? he needed yeah. to. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, be able to play quarterback. He could punt. Um, it actually, wasn't uh, he did. Was great. he a teammate of yours on the Cardinals or no? No, did he was there. Right, other? we missed each other. You guys other missed a each other. Bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he was a good one. Yeah, Tom Tupa, nice guy. Nice guy. He played for the Cardinals uh, right before I got there. Actually, so yeah, I was pretty impressed with him being able to play quarterback. And by the way, if you're a team, you're able to have a backup quarterback 
and your be your punter too. That saves the you roster. Have to waste spot. another roster. Yeah, spot. yeah. So. Hey Matt, anything out there you want to promote? I don't, think, I don't think we're going to see too many. No, I don't think we're going to see that again. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't think so, Matt. Uh, before we say goodbye, anything you want to promote or uh, tell the folks about before we say goodbye? Yeah, sure. Um, just the uh, the Purple Insider podcast is uh, every day. We do uh, different things and try to reference as many '90s and early 2000s players as we possibly can. And uh, you know, other than that, uh, just uh, writing at purpleinsider.com if people want to check out their Viking stuff. And uh, yeah, that's uh, and soon that will be my entire existence once training camp starts. Matt, nice. good stuff. It was a lot of fun. Anytime we could, um, uh, we could talk about Tommy Tupa, I'm all for it. Appreciate <laughs> or, it. Or any of those 90s and 2000 guys. I'll go there any day. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, at least the ones Jeff can remember. I can uh, remember all of them, John. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Matt. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy, Thank you, Matt. Enjoy your next week of freedom before the chaos begins, my friend. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, thanks so much, guys. You're welcome. Matthew Collar, check him out for Purple Insider, and we thank him for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Tom Tupa, I used to use him in Tech Mobile. He was actually pretty good in Tech Mobile. Tech Mobile Super Bowl, I think, actually. Yeah, he was... Uh, he had a very lengthy career, too. He really did. You know, again, that, that makes a difference when you can play two positions. Well, sure. a lot of times, the best players in high school end up punting just because of the best athlete, right? Right, well, they're quarterback. They just, you know, they right. just... Yeah, exactly. Which is why I, I always tell you that the punters are way better athletes than the kickers. You know that. It's a fact. You just you just said it, John. Oh, I'm reading up on him. He, he was a worldly Yeah, I would athlete. say probably. Absolutely. Who, Tommy Tupa? Yeah, he played basketball, baseball in high that school. Stud. There you go. Crazy. Yeah. Just a Did everything. Stud. A pure athlete. See, he wasn't making excuses as to why he took too much participation time in football <laughs> games. I'll tell you that. No, that's because he was a football player. Jeff Eagles was just a punter. I was just a punter. Well, yeah, but that doesn't Although mean I did that play Jeff didn't look at himself as an athlete, though. He played baseball. Okay, athlete, player. Well, there are athletes. Played that, played well, well, not all football, all football players are athletes. All athletes are not necessarily football players. By the way, I lettered in three sports in high school. So there you go. No, you're see? a good athlete. Baseball, I, I, I basketball, would, and football. And you're an excellent so. golfer. Yeah, I would have definitely played on the golf team if I wasn't such a big baseball player. But it was, you know, it conflicted too much. It Is did. That the yeah. problem? Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, and what did I, you play in baseball position? I was a pitcher in third base. Oh, pitcher! Oh, you must have cannon then. Yeah. Surprised you couldn't complete a pass in the NFL. Yeah, it was just <laughs> nobody could handle it. It was just too, fast. <laughs> <laughs> too much mustard on those throws. It hit every just one of them in on the, the hand. Opposition. That's it. It, it, it know, hit yeah. every one of them in the hand. That's yeah. funny. But uh, shortstop yeah. and pitcher, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I loved it. It was good. You know, what did you hit? Like third or fourth? Were you like uh, in the middle lineup? I was usually third, third or fourth. Wow. Yeah. So you were like right into I, the lineup well, see, too. Base, I was, I was a, baseball was my sport. That's, I played that more than I've ever played football. Oh, interesting. And okay. So my, I didn't know that. And my senior year was my only year I played football because I was baseball. I played year-round baseball. And you were point guard in basketball? I was a forward. You were fourth? Small okay. Small forward, yeah. But, um. But I know it's funny. I only lettered. I lettered my senior year. The other ones, I was. I actually was not. I was a good player in basketball, but I couldn't start. So I played a lot of JV, which I played every game, which was so you much dominated fun. The oh, it was JV. awesome! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I consider myself really good at the JV level. <laughs> <laughs> JV versatility. Yeah, Jeff, I'm surprised they didn't have you play a little baseball at Miami, considering. You know that what? Program. It's funny you asked that because I wanted to. And I went to Jimmy Johnson and I asked him if I could go try oh, out. And oh, he already really? said to me, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that would explain no. why you never so, had an opportunity. Something tells me there might have been more colorful language in there besides <laughs> He's no. like, no, you're, you're here to play football. You're going to school on a scholarship for football. You're here for football. You're a football player. There's nothing no, nothing in this conversation that's going to make me wow. think that you want to play baseball. So we could blame Jimmy Johnson Abs yeah. for preventing Jeff from yeah. perhaps having a lengthy 
MLB career. Well, I doubt it was MLB. I think the high, I think the fastest I ever threw was maybe in the low 80s. So that was it. So oh, it could yeah, have been a utility. Guy, I was a junk Like I could throw a knuckle curb. I could. Throw, oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I could nice. mess it up. That in my wiffle ball days, man. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> wiffle balls. Come on. The best. The, have you seen it lately? How they have the big thing behind home plate now? They have the if it hits it, it's a strike. Yeah, those balls are. I mean, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, no question about it. All right. Any calls? Any, you know, we don't do too. calls, but no, you know, we're not live. So can you imagine really if calls. we had calls for today? People would be calling in for wiffle ball. Mm-hmm. Trust me. All right, off the hook. Yo, n- absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> everybody loves wiffle ball because everybody sure. can play wiffle ball. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. All right, one other thing I want to touch on before we say goodbye, folks. we got about 15 minutes here. One thing I like to do every offseason, which we didn't have a chance to do because I haven't been here for six weeks, is most indispensable player on both sides of the ball for the Giants. What guy are they le- can be least afforded to lose? I'll start on defense because I think this is the obvious one for me, and then I'll give you guys a second to gather your thoughts here on both sides of the ball because because I didn't prep you with this. So on defense, for me, the guy they can least afford to lose is Adoree Jackson. He's the only veteran Mm. cornerback on Mm. this roster that has a history of being a starting cornerback in this league. Uh, And there's not much behind him. He has the ability to to cover man-on-man. The Giants are going to need him to cover the other team's best receiver man-on-man. If they lose him for any stretch of time and you're looking at, you know, Aaron Robinson and Darnay Holmes and Cordell Flott, they're all young guys. Could they get the job done? Sure, maybe. But, boy, you're leaving a lot to chance Mm. with with that young of a group out there playing corner, especially in Wink Martindale's system that puts so much pressure on the cornerback position. So, to me, the guy that they cannot afford to lose on defense or this thing could fall apart very quickly based on how Wink wants to play is Adoree Mm. Jackson for me. Well, it's a youth movement back there in the secondary. Yeah, that's a good that's point. I, I hadn't thought about that. And, and, so and by, and, but by well, the way, to quote Matt, you need to be a pretty special young corner to be really good early in your career. That takes time. Well, and especially a good cover guy in yep. this defense. I mean, it's not a matter of just being a good guy that has a lot of confidence. Can you handle yourself on an island? Yep. Especially if you're left all alone. Well, you know, to me, the guy actually proved his value last season I know where you're because going. he was lost. Yeah. So I don't see why it changes because they still don't have a lot of proven talent that middle linebacker, Blake Martinez. Good answer. When he went down, that I mean, look at answer. what happened to the run defense, guys. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, I'd circle back to Blake. Hopefully, you know, he'll be able to stay in there this season. It's not to say that they don't have options. Uh, Micah McFadden and Darian Beavers and some of these guys that they drafted. And then the group from the previous year, Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin. But I don't think anybody has proven that they can fill in as an every down linebacker. I'll throw Tate Crowder in there, too, for Blake Martinez. So Blake's value to me is skyrocketing. It's just as high as it was when he went down via injury last season. No, no, I, good answer. I'm with you. That, that was going to be my answer. The other one might be McKenney. You know, in the back. Yeah, that's you know. a good one. Um, but I, I like your answer with uh, Blake Martinez. I think that's that's who I would go for, definitely. All right, agreed. All right, let's jump over to the offensive side of the ball. And I think this is honestly a lot tougher, right? Because you would say, oh, well, it's always the quarterback, right? Well, I mean, yeah. Tyrod well, Taylor's pretty yeah, good. no, I'm not going there. Like, Tyrod yep. Taylor's a good football player. 
you know, and then you go, okay, well, 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 what's the next most important position on offense? Well, offensive tackle. Well, now you got two. You got two. And <laughs> both guys can play both sides, right? And mm-hmm. then you have guys behind them. So I don't think I can go offensive tackle. I mean, could you go Glowinski? Because then you're looking at two guards that maybe you have questions about. Maybe. Tight end, I think it's kind of, you know, a toss-up who your guys even are. You don't even, yeah. yeah. So They may rotate guys yeah, anyway. So right, rotate, exactly. Yeah. So is it is it Saquon? Eh, I always hesitate to, to, to make it a running back. He's really important. He's a great player, but running backs are running backs, right? And, you know, Matt Breda's been a star in this league and, and has been fairly effective. So I'm going right, to go. Is tough. So I'm going to go to wide receiver here. And hmm. I thought about picking Kadarius Toney. But I decided not to because, because I health? do think Wondell Robinson can play the slot, which is where Tony probably is going to be strongest. So for me, who's their ex-wide receiver if Kenny Galladay doesn't have a big year? Well, they're going to have to move somebody in that. If you want a taller guy, you could. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So to me, I think it's Galladay. Like if Galladay doesn't mm. show up and be a consistent big play threat and somebody Daniel Jones can rely on. You're looking at Sterling Shepard, who knows what the Achilles injury. You're looking at Kadarius Tony. You know, we saw last year, who knows what he's going to give you. You hope he give he has the talent to give you a lot, but he hasn't proven it. You have a rookie in Wondell Robinson, who I think we all think are is is going to have an effective rookie year, but he's still a rookie. He's only 5'8", right? So who's uh, the guy if, Nothing you, comes to mind. if you lose Galladay? Like Darius Slayton, he's not... I don't think equipped to, to, to play that role as an ex-wide receiver. So I'm going to go Galladay. That's where I'm going to land here in terms of the most indispensable player on offense. You want to go, Lance? I'll let you go, Jeff, because well, I went before you the okay, last Okay, that's okay. Um, so here's my thinking. behind. And, and by the way, I, I believe you're correct when you say this is the tougher of the two. Because when you were going through all those names, there's nothing that stood out to me where I'd be like, oh, that's it. Okay, however, I feel like this. I think that I know there's two tackles. If one of them went down, one of them can replace them. But who's behind them that scares me? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at Pert, you're looking at Corey Cunningham, and so, you're looking at uh, Gono, the guy that brought in. So that, yeah. to me, is the kind of position. No, so i got to pick one of those two. That's a good answer. So maybe collectively I would go at the tackles position. I mean, if I was to pick one of the two, I'd pick Andrew Thomas, because at least you know he's yes. good. So I'm, I'm going to go with him for that reason. No, that's a good answer. I think that's fair. And you know what? Who, I feel like you know, I'm the family feud. Good answer. Well, Good it, answer. Yeah, it, it is like that a little bit, right? <laughs> Ding! Um, but you know what? It's funny, too, because then you, you know, do you ask Evan Neal then to switch positions from the right side to the left side as a rookie, which, you know, I don't like to move a rookie around if I don't have to. You want to kind of get him used to one spot. So, you know, Jeff, I, I, think, I think that's a very good answer. The other thing, too, is if, if let's just say if it was Andrew Thomas and you had, you know, Neal, he's, he's freshly removed from playing left tackle. So I think that I think that that would be okay. Um, how about you, Lance? Well, but now you're bringing in a new right tackle mm-hmm. then, and then you have right. to deal with the chemistry with Golinski. <sighs> so know, you're playing those movable parts. Yeah. So I was actually going to go exactly where you went Lance, with in Andrew fact, Thomas. You might call it a game of musical chairs on 100%. the 100%. Like. That's exactly what it would be. <laughs> we do not want to go there it. again. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it's been well documented with his team, so we might as well call it consistently. <laughs> But it's very similar to my philosophy with Blake Martinez. Andrew Thomas, remember, he missed a chunk of last season. So mm-hmm. we already saw what happened when he was out right. of the lineup. You were moving guys from the right side to the left side. Sure. You had it piecemeal. You split games. Do you really want to go through that? Now, I'm not saying that they would split games, but to Jeff's point, with the options they have to slide in, whether it be on the left or the right side, 
you either have a young guy like Joshua Zudu, who they're playing everywhere, okay? He's been a multifaceted player at North Carolina, but he hasn't necessarily been a mainstay at one of those positions. So you can experiment there. There's not a lot of substance in terms of experience there. You brought up Matt Gono, but even Gono hasn't been an every-down starter for the bulk of his career. And what happens if... Andrew Thomas goes down. Gono's got more experience at the right side than necessarily the left side. Yep. So do you move Neil over, and now all of a sudden his first year in the NFL, you're not giving him consistent reps on one side of the football field? So to me, Andrew Thomas is the most valuable piece because I think we once again, like Blake Martinez, we were exposed a little bit to that last season. The other guy I would throw in who we didn't mention what about John Feliciano? Because if Nick Gates is not fully healthy, guys, and Feliciano goes down, who, by the way, is transitioning to center, it's very similar. Max Garcia, do you throw him in there? Do you give a chance to another young guy? Do you look at Izudu, who, you know, maybe they were thinking at North Carolina to bring him in, but because of the stuttering issue they held back? That becomes a little bit of a game of musical chairs as well if Feliciano winds up getting hurt and Gates is not ready to go. Yeah, I think... I'm I'm looking at the roster here, and I, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. They had um, as their primary backup center in training camp. Uh, where's the guy? I'm looking for him here. It was the veteran that they brought in the office. You're talking about Garcia, right? No, Jamil Douglas was their primary. Oh, okay, backup that's right. Center, yeah, well, but Douglas, even he has not necessarily been a veteran center throughout the course of his career. No, yeah, he hasn't. Been, so you know that that to me brings just more question marks. Is what I'm getting at. With respect to that, no, no, absolutely, there are questions there, and I and I think that's a good answer too. Where would you guys put put Barkley? Because I thought about going Saquon, just because he was dual use running back receiver, and we know this team needs explosive players on offense to make. And big we know plays, that this and, offense is going to be predicated a lot around him, right? right? Not necessarily as a runner, but as a multifaceted guy, right? right? So, what do you, how do you guys think about Saquon in that regard? Well, I, I think that. My answer would there, you know, Matt Breda is he's he's a proven player, so he can play the position. Yeah, but you know, but it's not a Saquon Barkley. There I are levels that. to this thing, right? So yeah. let's just go back and 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 have the argument about the tackle position. Are we when if we're in the same situation? Are you are you more satisfied with your backup at the running back position, or would you be more satisfied with the backup at the tackle position? Right. Well, I guess I guess the I guess the better question then would be, how much does this team lose? If Saquon gets hurt, like what's the overall impact you guys think on the offense overall? If you have to, and look, running backs around the league, they all get injured here or there. They all miss games. It happens. So what do you guys think the overall impact on the offense is? Is it debilitating? Is it all right? It's not good, but we can adjust. Just how do you view that? I, I think it's more, I think it's more Lance. I, I think it's more of the big play opportunity in the offense more than anything. I think he brings you that element that you get the ball in his hands. And by the way, he's going to be very healthy this year. And so that's a that's a that's a big loss if you have to do without him in that aspect. I mean, there's many many ways to look at this, but if you look at the big play potential, I mean, there's no play. There's a lot of you know he is one of the guys in the league that can turn something into pretty big plays every every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why to piggyback off of Jeff's point, I think you lose another guy in the receiving game that could turn a short pass into a big all of a sudden explosive play. See, Breida can run the ball. 
you could get away with Breida being your running back, especially if the offensive line improves because he's clearly going to be a product of that. I don't know if that's as damaging a hit, but the play that Barkley made against the New Orleans Saints last season, guys, when he was running up the left sideline and then he got behind the defense, Daniel Jones threw to him, and then he cut back to the middle of the field and had, what, a 50-yard touchdown or whatever, that I think you'd miss. But I think between Breida... Tony, you could give carries to. Wondell Robinson, you give carries to. Maybe you move in, you mix and match some of these other young guys in the backfield. I think you get by with a backfield by committee. I just don't think you're going to have those above the X's and O's type of runs. That, to me, is going to be the biggest miss. So, to go back to your question, John, I'd probably put Barkley maybe third or fourth on the list in terms of being a player that could be a detrimental loss. I'd prioritize the offensive line. I'd probably put Galladay ahead, and then I'd consider Barkley in the equation. All right, guys, final thoughts. Uh, next week, we have one week then before camp. Anything you want to get out there before we say goodbye here? Hmm. I'll take that as a no. <laughs> well, I mean, we could go in so many different directions with yeah. respect to that bold um, question. Well, I would say anything, so, anything specifically Giant-related. Well, before you know it, I mean, we're going to be back on the field. I think that's certainly exciting. You got some teams, not necessarily the Giants, but Monday, rookies are reporting for some teams around the NFL yep. because of those that are taking part in the Hall of Fame game, and everybody's on a different schedule based on their preseason action. So, I mean, clearly... We've had a very lengthy journey for us to get this far and now all of a sudden be somewhat tasting football live action again, I think is something to look forward to. And it's going to be very interesting to see a lot of position battles overall on this roster because as we were just talking about, I think there's depth chart opportunities up for grabs, whether it be on the offensive line, whether it be a wide receiver, running back, who's going to emerge in the secondary Outside of a Dory Jackson, is one of these young guys going to take a step forward? And then how does a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau and Ojalari progress as they're going really to have to take on the bulk of the pass rushing duties this season? Those are, I mean, the big storylines, which I think are immense across yeah. the board. It's not just one position, I think, that we're going to be watching once training camp starts up. I, I'm excited moving forward because, you know, typically a lot of times we talk about, oh, we can't wait to see this new offense, right? You know, it's going to be, you know, the way that they design plays and how they're going to do things in the red zone and, you know, how is Daniel Jones going to be? But on the flip side of it, I, I get just equally as excited as the defensive side of the football. What is Wink Martindale and what the, what is this defense going to look like? So I think it will be interesting to watch both sides of the football in training camp and get a little bit of an idea of the identity that the, both of these teams, you know, the offense and the defense for the Giants are going to have this year. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm looking I forward to that. I just wonder, related, I don't know, if John, if you wanted to jump in and say something, so no, I apologize ahead. if no, I cut ahead. you off. No, I, to Jeff's point, I just wanted to note, it's going to be interesting to see how much they show during the preseason. I don't know whether or not we're going to get a great read yeah. on either side of the ball if most teams just want to sort of hold back. You know what I'm saying, Jeff? Yeah. So that's going to be something to navigate. We may need the first quarter of the season to really get a good grasp mm -hmm. of what the offense and the defense are going to be all about. And yeah. also, if there's a lot of young players that are going to get some additional playing time early on, it may take them a little while to go through those growing pains. Well, yeah, and I think, too, real quickly, this is a conversation Paul and I have. We can have a larger conversation next week when we have more time, is how much do you play the guys in preseason games, too, right? Like, how much do you want to make sure these guys get experience in the new system? And the offense is a complicated system. How much time team. does Jones need? How much time does the O-line yep. need together? So that's, good. That, that's another debate we can have, which is, you know, injury prevention versus reps. You know, how, yeah. wh which one do you prioritize?
And remember, you only have three games now, so you got to get those guys ready. The veterans got to play some amount of football before they get ready to go to the regular season. So I think that's important. I think it's a good point. I think more importantly is just how, you know, I know that scrimmage against the Jets will be a big one, you know, and I don't think that game will have a lot of action in it, the game itself, because of just the way that they're going to do the uh, the scrimmage. Um, but I think that, you know, you make a good point, but I, I still think that because this team is so young, and the competition is there. I still feel like they need to, to really evaluate these guys in game situations. So I think that, you know, there isn't a lot of like deep, deep veterans on this team. It's so young that, you know, they're not like a 10 year guy that you're going to you're going to leave out for a couple games. There's yeah. going to be a lot of guys that are going to play. Well, and here's the other thing, guys. And we talked about this a little bit last season with them cutting back one preseason game. So the final preseason game is going to be August 28th mm -hmm. against the Jets. The opener is two weeks after that, yeah, September yeah. 11th, Jeff. So mm -hmm. two full weeks you're going to have. I mean, that's why I would not be frightened if you want to play some guys, especially if they're young, and if they get banged up, hey, so be it. I mean, that's the risk you have to take. Well, but and Lance, the fact frankly, that there's two I, I, weeks, that's Lance, a lot. I don't want to give guys three weeks off without exactly. playing a game. I mean, no, that's, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they got to play. I mean, that's a lot you. of time that goes by. It is. And again, these guys are young enough to recoup and kind of, you know, come back. If you've got the older veterans like I am, you know, if you're a team – you know, you know what I'm talking about, guys. There's there's veteran teams where you can sure. say, okay, this is a team that's going to compete this year. We know. Let's just take, for example, the, the Buffalo Bills. Okay, those or are, Tennessee. Look or at Tennessee, Tennessee the team exactly. they're playing so, in week one. Yeah, so you're going to be able to, to rest some of those guys and feel comfortable that those are those veteran players are going to be able to pick up right where they left off two weeks prior to that, right? So, yeah. But in this situation, you've got a lot of evaluation and some, and some starting positions up for grabs. You're going to want to do that. And I think that the scrimmages with the Jets or any for any other teams, for that matter, I think mean they, as far as evaluation, I love them. I think they should do more of them. Um, I think you get a lot more out of the of the scrimmages practices than you do the games, honestly, because I think you can evaluate more on an individual basis on all of those drills and things that you do in competition with somebody else. Because by the time they get to that third preseason game, guys, you know this. They're so tired against going against the other guys on, yeah. on the team. Mm -hmm. And as yeah. far as an evaluation process, I got to evaluate John Schmelk against Lance Meadow again today. I mean, seriously, can I get somebody else in there to compete against him? And that's what's it's important. All right, everybody, we have no show tomorrow. It's our last summer Friday, so we apologize for that. But then we're back next week. We'll start five days a week, uh, and we'll get moving here. Uh, we'll be at noon all week next week. We think for training camp we're going to move the show to 2 o'clock starting the following week. I guess that would be on the 25th, if I'm doing the math in my head Correct. correctly. Yes. Um, and we'll go from there. Just a reminder before we leave, folks, Giants tickets, Giants suites, they're available for 2022. Check it out. Exclusive access to events, pre-sales, uh, concerts, all that great stuff. Call 888-NYG-1925 for more information for either Giants suites or Giants season tickets. For Lance Meadow, for Jeff Fiegels, for Matthew Collar, I'm John Schmelk. Thank you for being with us on another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. 
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.